Welcome to season four of Copy Room Conversations, releasing imperfection and normalizing joy. My intention in sharing these precious humans with you is to inspire you to let go, let down, and remember that joy is love without inhibition, and love without inhibition is joy. With joy, we will not only survive, we will remember what it is to thrive, and so will our kids. Big thanks to our sponsor, Dirt Path Publishing, a company dedicated to publishing works with social impact. They are also the publisher of my book, Nothing's Missing, released earlier this year. For more information about my book, visit nicoleluciani.com. And for more information on Dirt Path Publishing, visit dirtpathpublishing.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Peter Myers exudes a light that is so bright it can knock you off your feet. He entered my life in my classroom in the spring of 2003 when he was paired with me as my student teacher. I had hit a sweet spot in my teaching that spring when I had finally had my feet firmly underneath me after eight years of teaching and a baby who was finally sleeping through the night. I had an extraordinary fortune of teaching a women's studies class for the first time that year under the tutelage of friend and fellow mom, Dana Rosenberg. Dana and I shared an office and a classroom that year, and when Peter arrived, he brought the spirit of joy along with him. That was also the year I learned how much I had to learn from student teachers. I taught Peter structure and planning and how to hold boundaries. He taught me that I didn't have to take myself so seriously. In fact, if I let go a little bit, I might just remember what it was to be delighted by working among teenagers. Peter's legacy rippled through the rest of my time in the classroom and beyond. Twelve years of students, maybe as many as 1,800 of them, touched by the joy that Peter reminded me was mine to have. More importantly, the joy that was mine to give. I think the last time I saw you, I was pregnant with my youngest, who's 17 now. So it's been forever. I know. It's great. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, let's let's back up for the listeners. So you were my student teacher in yes. 2002? Two, yes, 2002. Yes, is that, is you that were. Not crazy? And I only know that year because my first child was a year old, and mm-hmm. you were with me and Dana, and both of us had babies. And mm-hmm. here's Peter mm-hmm. <laughs> coming through, <laughs> learning mm-hmm. how to be a teacher. 2002. Okay, yeah. so you were with me, and then you worked in the city, right? Is yeah. That right? Well, I started my teaching career like officially, officially at Leadership High School in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I was there for right. five years. And then I moved to South Africa. I had an opportunity to to start a school there. What? Wait, I totally missed it. Wait, this you didn't know that? Somehow. No. What the hell? Tell yeah. me more about that. Actually, that's funny because it was right at, I actually got Facebook because I was moving and one of my friends had just gotten it. And mm. I was like, oh, well, this is a way that I can like stay in touch with him when I moved uh-huh. to South Africa. And so I got Facebook. And so I guess it was right 
right we would have kind of missed each other because yeah you know that's that's right when it happened yeah but yeah, yeah I moved yeah. to South Africa for a couple of years I had a chance to start a to be part of the inaugural faculty at this school called African Leadership Academy <laughs> oh my god what an amazing experience yeah it was it was very 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 cool I had kids from 35 different countries were represented from the continent Wow. And it was, it probably to this day is the biggest honor I've ever had in my educational career to be surrounded by these humans that were, you know, I mean, kids, kids are kids. They bring, they bring their whole selves to their, you know, to their, their, um, their life at school. But these kids in particular were really special because part of why I decided to to go to South Africa to, to agree to be part of the inaugural faculty is that the mission statement of the school was so ridiculously ridiculous. It was to trans <laughs> to transform the continent towards a more peaceful and prosperous future. And I thought, oh my gosh, who are these kids that want to participate? In this school so I met students from all over the continent of Africa that were really doing something special with their lives and I learned way more from all of these kids collectively than they did sure. for me <laughs> and it was sure. such a such a, a, a an amazing and joyous and wonderful experience I loved it Oh my God! What that's extraordinary. Yeah. How long were you there? I was there for two years. Actually, you you may that you may know about this. There's a book that was published a couple of years ago, and then it was turned into a movie, um, starring some Hollywood people mm -hmm. um, about one of our kids at the school. His name is Joseph Kumquambo, and he's from Malawi, and he had to be he had to drop out of school after like seventh grade or eighth grade. And he lived in this little tiny village, no electricity, in Malawi. And he, just from his observation and kind of his brain, he decided that he wanted to figure out how to build a windmill to capture the wind energy to power his oh, yes. home. Yes. That was what I yes. actually Is this had the boy him. who captured the wind? That is exactly oh, what it is. He was one of my students, God. Nicole. <laughs> Jesus, that's amazing. Yeah, and to say, and to think that I actually had anything to offer him, and I don't mean that to be self-deprecating, but come on, like no. here's this kid who who brought electricity to his village from yeah. from bike parts. <laughs> god, oh my god! And I'm teaching him. That's crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. So I met I met so <laughs> many you... kids like him. That's amazing. What an extraordinary gift for you. My oh, God. It got it was it was amazing. I'm I'm you know, I left there in two thousand and ten and I I still am in I still am in regular touch with a handful of kids from that that time in my life because we had advisories and um, I had mm -hmm. I had these seven kids from all corners of the continent and um talk I'm mean, just talking about life changing and just yeah. truly an amazing gift. Wow. So you came back and then what happened? I came back and I moved I moved to the Pacific Northwest, which if you remember I'm from. So I moved to um, Portland, Oregon. Okay. And I started teaching 
there and I was there until 2015 and I really did love Portland as well. It was a beautiful experience and I like to joke that I then went into a midlife crisis and <laughs> I decided to kind of move and the only city I really wanted to move to was a place that I always had fun in, which was New York. So I moved uh -huh. to New York. <laughs> oh, my God. And I've been in New York. That's amazing. So, I mean, it was a good move. You're still there. Yeah, it was a good move. And, you know, super fun. New York is so interesting. I mean, I thought that when I moved here that I'd be moving to this, like, epicenter of, like, progressive education. And yeah. it's not. Um, it's, yeah. It's... <laughs> really uh the the public education system here is absolutely i think it's harmful and neglectful for students mm -hmm. in the public education in, in public education and the department of education um like actively thwarts um educators and principals from doing the best for their students and it's super frustrating and i i got to a point in my career where i was either going to do something that I would probably end up regretting. So I decided to mm -hmm. um, move into the private sector and now I'm at a private school. And um, mm. it was a difficult decision in that respect, in the respect that I have always felt, you know, um, I believe in public education and I believe in kind of like what it represents, but um, mm -hmm. I was going to, um, I was gonna either quit teaching forever or um, do things in the classroom that mm -hmm. would not make me effective at all. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I, mm -hmm. I left. I left public education in, in New York, and I'm at a private school. Wow, wow. That's a journey, my friend. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you're still teaching. Um, you just, like, I, my heart feels so full just being in this conversation with you. And I know, I know what you do for kids because I saw it firsthand. So... Um, I can't wait to get started. So yes. well, thank you for um, that. let's actually go to the plan now. I don't think I ever heard why you decided to become a teacher. We all come to this work with kind of our unique lens and experience. And it's often something happened to us in school that, that related, not always. So tell me about why you chose to be a teacher. How, how did you get to this, this place? Yeah. Well, I think I have a couple of different answers. One is from um, when I was younger and what drew me into it. And now it's what I what I really think kind of got me into it, mm -hmm. which is the, the, the first answer was when I was young. It's just I, I loved my teachers. I mean, I always mm. just really was so excited to be in a classroom with a teacher and just looked up to them and admired them in a way that I just really can't explain. It just was, mm -hmm. it was somebody who I just thought was so, um, like so interesting, um, just to have mm. that person be in the classroom and be teaching us. And, you know, I grew up in a, uh, in Yakima and I grew up in, um, a school district that both my sisters who are, um, older than me, they both graduated from, I went from kindergarten to my senior year of, of high school with a lot of the same people. Um, mm -hmm. So I would get into, you know, into junior high or into high school and I already knew my teachers. They were people that I'd met from my sisters that were mm. the coaches 
of their basketball teams that were like the officials out at, you know, in the track meets that were Mm -hmm. um, friends of my sister's that we would see, you know, like on the weekends for like dinner. So I was already known and um, I knew a lot of the people in my community. And I think that's that's what made it made it so like attractive to me because it just felt so comfortable and so nurturing. And Mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to be part of. And so initially, that's what drew me into teaching. And I think that my answer now is a more, uh, I think the core of it is still there. But I've realized over the years that one of my greatest strengths is helping kids kind of like answer questions that they that I haven't asked them, but they've they've answered. And so I like to try to figure out what what they're responding to. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, you know, kids often answer questions, but they're not always the questions that like I ask them. And so they're, yeah, they're answering something else. And I notice that and I like to try to figure out what they are trying to answer or trying to figure out. And so Mm. I, I've enjoyed that. I think for me, it's like a teacher as like coach or teacher as facilitator Mm. teacher as Mm -hmm. Um, you know, someone who is kind of like a little bit of a detective and an investigator, but also like mm. a, uh, a person that um, hopefully helps you feel safe to do that. And um, yeah. I think that's what I really enjoy now about teaching and why I wanted to be involved in it. So yeah, it's the community, it's the, the connection, it, but it's also like the helping people find out answers to the questions that they're, that they're asking that you may or may not know about, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. You're like, um, you see a thread, right? And you're trying to find that where that thread begins. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know you to be someone who deeply respects students as whole humans, as individual humans. And so it makes perfect sense to me knowing you that your level of empathy and your level of respect leads you that direction to see what is the uniqueness in this child and what questions are they answering? What questions are they asking without asking? You're like giving the learning experience over to them in this really beautiful way that still holds them, you ground them, you anchor them in a way that they do feel safe. And I think that is something, I'm sure you've gotten better in the 17 years you've been teaching, um, but that's something that you had from go. I think that deep respect for te- for for kids as humans. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, as teachers, we're all learners, right? And and I contend that every child or family that we encounter has something to teach us, especially the ones that we wish were absent, um, the <laughs> ones that are really hard. You know, uh, those are our spiritual teachers. What do you think the hardest thing you've had to learn um, from your students or from their families has been? Yeah, I remember very vividly when I first started teaching at Leadership High School in San Francisco that I wanted to be everything to every student and Mm -hmm, be mm -hmm. the one that could solve all of their questions, all of their problems, all of their issues, teach them everything that they wanted to know. And I had this really amazing Um, colleague of mine at Leadership High School who went on to become actually the principal and she um, 
recently just left the school after being principal there for like a decade and then um, wow. she moved down to San Jose but um, she was absolutely beloved by the students and I loved her as well she was fantastic mm-hmm. But I wanted to be her so badly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I remember in like probably my third or fourth year, I had this epiphany. And it was so silly. But I just remember saying, her name is Beth Silbergeld, and she went by Silb. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, I am not Silb. And it was so <laughs> it was so freeing in that moment because I was like, wait, I am not her. Therefore, <laughs> I don't need to do all the things that she's doing because these are her gifts. And also that she's like been teaching for longer. So I just have to like do what I can and recognize that I will be some things to some students and more things to other students and not anything to some students. And that's all okay. There's a whole team of us. And I really kind of picked up this idea. I like remember from that point that like, my students go to other teachers and then those students go to other teachers and they have other teachers and coaches and adults in their life. And these are all our kids, all of them. They're yes. our kids. Yes. So yes. I don't have to hold the space for all of them all the time. And oh my God, that was so like, it was, oh it was so freeing. <laughs> it was so freeing. Yes. Yeah. When I made that, when I yeah. made that kind of had that discovery. And that really allowed me to then be more of myself and be authentic and and be like, what can I bring? What can I bring in this moment? And that they're not going to get in second period with Mr. Myers um, because right. they're go- but they're going to go on and they're going to get something else. So what can I give them right now? You know, I love that. What do you feel like your your special thing is? I mean, I have strong opinions about what your special <laughs> thing is, but I also haven't seen you teach in 17 years. So yeah. Um, I feel like schools are a place where we all hold a puzzle piece and we all need to put our particular piece down. Like you said, not your colleague's piece who you love, but your piece. What do you think that is that you bring to students that they can't get elsewhere or that's special about you? I, I, you'll, you'll probably find this funny or think that this is maybe what you were going to answer, but like, I, I have gotten really comfortable with kind of owning or accepting that I really love to have fun and love to bring like a, a, a school spirit and help people like celebrate the fact that they're in high school. I always say I teach ninth grade and I teach 12th grade. Uh-huh. And I always say to my ninth graders, like, oh, this is your first year of high school and you're never going to have this again. Like you're, you're, let's have fun today. Like, let's do something that you're going to yeah. remember or like enjoy or like reflect back on and be like, wow, remember when I was in ninth grade and I did that? Like you might be learning about something that you're going to remember and you're, you need to like have ex- be excited <laughs> that you like remembered it. So I, f- I feel like one of the, like my pieces that I bring is this, um, kind of like a celebrant. I like to celebrate and I like mm. to celebrate like whatever it is, but I like, I like you to feel like you're being celebrated by me because I see you and I, and I want to, and I want to do that. And so I create lots of opportunities in my, in my classroom for students to be celebrated. And Mm I, I like, I am at my school. I am the student, um, council, like faculty advisor. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And that's a role that I, I really um, love because I really thought about at the, when we came back from the pandemic and we started school again and not with a hybrid schedule and not with all online, which we were, um, right. but I thought, man, our school, like how can I, with the student council, like really focus on celebrating and nurturing that school spirit that has been missing mm. for the last couple mm-hmm. of years because we've all been online or it's all been an abbreviated version of what we thought. And so mm-hmm. I like to celebrate. And so I have become a celebrant and that's my special connection that I like to do. I l- <laughs> love that. I haven't had anybody articulate their piece as beautifully as that. I just adore it. And it's so perfect. It's so perfect. Did you ever feel like um, kind of weighed down by shoulds or perfectionism? Because outwardly, you never felt that you did. But I wonder if you maybe carried any of that through your early years of teaching, or maybe you still do struggle. Um, and now that you're in a private school, it makes me wonder even more how the level of perfectionism you see in your students and how we can liberate them from that. Kind of walk us through any experience you or your students you're seeing are struggling with perfectionism and then and then how you how do you liberate them and yourself? That's so timely because my seniors just on Friday had their last day of senior classes and now they're moving into finals and getting ready to graduate and all of these things. So I, I won't actually have them yeah. anymore. And I had this one student, really amazing student, really um just she she wants to do something in psychology that's what i am i I taught her as as a junior and a senior and she wants to do something with the field and earn top marks on everything and in this last month i have soon i've seen her let go a little bit and be a little bit less perfect Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i told her the other day i was like hey i was like i just have to tell you i have really enjoyed watching you and seeing a new side of you because I've known you Mm -hmm. for two years as a perfectionist and it really Mm -hmm. seems like in this last month you have been having a lot more fun Mm -hmm. and she was actually really I don't want to say touch that might sound a little too much but she she noted she she enjoyed that I that I was telling her that that she had had, that I had noticed Mm -hmm. yeah and that she conveyed that um, she had, she, it, and it was like kind of a little bit hard for her, but she did it because she realized it was her last month of high school. And if she didn't do it now, then when mm-hmm. would she do it? So she kind of tried some things on. So she, she was a little bit more relaxed and consequently, like, she, I think she just kind of let loose a little bit and, and I enjoyed yeah. watching that for her. So my takeaway for myself has always been that if I am really fixated on like doing everything 100% or not at all, there is no mm-hmm. middle ground, then I'm going to mm-hmm. fail because mm-hmm. I it's almost impossible to always be at 100% in whatever you're trying totally. to do. So for me to be like my best self and my most authentic self, I have to allow myself that freedom to you know, like have fun because I have always been somebody who that's been something I've enjoyed about school. I've always loved school when I was in high school when I was in college, as I started teaching and, um, 
like you can you can have high expectations you can have structure to your class you can have routines that help students be successful and you can also like enjoy <laughs> what you're doing yes. and have fun and um so like something very very silly and fun but i always start off my classes with a joke um and mm-hmm. the jokes are really corny dad jokes and um uh-huh um, I try to incorporate them. I tell I tell my students that these are my life stories. That they're actually not a, not a joke. They're just a story of like, oh hey, this I was at the doctor this weekend, and this is what he told me. Um, yeah. But I like to do it because I like to have fun in my classroom, and yeah. I realize that if I'm always trying to be like, oh, you have to be serious so the students respect you, or you have to be hard ass so the students will respond to you. Like that doesn't work for mm-hmm. me. Doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have to be, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my perfectionism is not about like, uh, meeting deadlines and stuff. My perfectionism is about like, uh, am I, am I trying to be something that I'm not because I think it will work yeah. better or not? And that does, that yeah. just doesn't work. And I've learned that the hard way over the years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like a re- relentless authenticity you have to hold yourself to. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. So I, I'm hearing and I know joy to play a strong role in your classroom. And I'm, I'm wondering about the people who are not as uh, joyful by nature, right? Yeah. You are joyful by nature. It emanates from your soul. There are other folks who are just a little bit more serious by nature. <laughs> and you don't want them to try to be you, right? So I wonder what ways, big or small or in between, that we can move ourselves as individuals and as a community where joy becomes a little bit more normalized. Yeah. And and maybe it's starting with what I'm hearing you say is that it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. Yeah, it doesn't have, it shouldn't look the same for everybody because it's Mm -hmm. it's just like in the classroom, you have to provide a lot of entry points for students to be engaged, to get involved, to understand, to figure it out. And it can't just be one way. And if you do it one way, mm-hmm. yes, you you could be successful with some students or the majority of students, but rarely is it ever everyone. Um, <clears throat> and so um, I do, I wanna provide as many entry points as I can. So that looks really different for for uh, all students. So one one small example is that I do this thing called player pass. And player pass is where I have all of these questions that are fun and silly and sometimes irreverent and sometimes just ridiculous for students to answer. And we always do a round and I call on a student, they'll say a number between one through 25 and I'll pull out that question and then Player pass is that you can uh, you can play, which means you can answer the question, or you can pass, and mm-hmm. you can pass on the question. And mm-hmm. every student participates during the year because we do it all the time. So mm-hmm. the only rule that I have is that if you are the one that draws the question out, you have to play. But other than that, you can pass mm-hmm. every time. And mm. I've had a couple of kids like pass, pass, pass. But then, yes, 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 they will play, <laughs> and then maybe they'll play a little bit more frequently, and then maybe they'll go back to passing. That's totally yeah. fine. But just yeah. the opportunity to kind of play or pass is like has become to me like a kind of a mantra. Like, hey, like it's okay to pass. Like, 
Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. You need you want to pass. Yeah. You need to pass. My it's not my it's not mine to judge you. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. I'm also want you to have the opportunity to pass, to play, especially if you see your peers around you get excited by them participating or get excited by oh, their answer yeah, that they yeah. give or excited because yeah. the the question is silly and you just get swept up in like the silly aspect of of it and it's fun when that happens, you know? Mhm. Mhm. <clears throat> so it sounds like every what everybody can do is provide space for play and what everybody can do is recognize that we always have the choice to say play or pass. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And it is kind of a mantra for life, right? When yeah. you think about any series. And learning is really all invitations. I've come to understand that, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that learning is, is a series of invitations. And when I think about your mantra of play or pass, it's so true. Like, yeah, I want to play this one. No, I don't really. But you have to keep asking, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise that child who's like, too cool for school or too shy or whatever, they have to build their courage muscles. And it may take 37 times before they say play, and that's okay. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. I love that you said invitation because um, that's often what I, what, I, what I kind of think of is that, uh, you know, being in a community um, sometimes is a direct invitation and sometimes is, um, you know, a, a, an opportunity to invite someone else or an, invite something new in. Yeah. Um, but you, the invitation has to be extended and it has to be extended lots of different times until um, it, it's accepted or maybe entertained or sometimes, you know, dismissed nine out of ten times. But that's, that's okay. Yeah. We just keep inviting. Yes, keep inviting. Right. So it sounds to me like you've learned, or maybe this is the way of your of life, that you don't take things personally if the student oh. doesn't want to play. Right? Absolutely. The student wants to pass. That is a killer. I think that is a, uh, a soul-destroying belief for a teacher if you take things personally. I think, I think mm-hmm. teachers, I mean, there's so many things that are hard about being a teacher, and yeah. people leave the profession um, for all different types of reasons, but I, if 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 there were research out there, which maybe there is, I'm, I don't know. Maybe we can do the research. But I would love, <laughs> I would, I would, I have a hunch that part of the reason that people who end up either leaving the profession or they just don't really like kids anymore, but they stay as teachers, mm-hmm. is that they take it really personally, and mm. it cannot be personal. It just can't be. It will it will destroy you. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I always want to, when I have new teachers come in um, that I work with, I always want to give them a copy of The Four Agreements. Have you read that book? I sure have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number one, don't take things personally. It's so critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So um, the, I, I asked these last two questions to everybody who we have on. Um, we have a playlist on Apple Music called the Copy Room Conversations Playlist. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what your song would be on that playlist. What would be your walk-up song? What would be your theme song? I know you have one. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> I do, and it's actually um, it's a soundtrack, actually, that I've been listening to Ooh. a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've noticed... Um, in the last couple of months, me on social media, 
um, at all. I've, I've posted a few times about this Broadway show that I have mm-hmm. gone to called Six. I mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. seen it three times, and my goal <laughs> is to see it once for every of the six ex-wives of King Henry VIII, so I'm halfway there. Yes. But the, <laughs> but the last song on that soundtrack, it speaks to me on all of these different levels. Um, and it, it, like the, the whole chorus is like, um, we're one of a kind, no category. Um, too many years mm-hmm. lost in his story. We're free to take mm-hmm. our crowning glory for five more minutes. And, you know, when they're singing it, they're wrapping it up. But I, I just love this narrative at like, hey, we, we get to go into the classroom and we get to present whatever we want to present. But that not is necessarily going to be the narrative for the day. Because guess what? You've got 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 other humans in there. And if you go yes. in thinking like, hey, this is this is the story for today, then uh, it, it might be hard. So <laughs> why do that to yourself? You know? Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. like I like to think of I like to think of teaching in the same way that I, why I loved waiting tables when I was just out of college. I loved waiting tables for the same reason I love teaching, which is you know that when you go into a classroom with a group of students or you go up to a table who are going to order from you, you know a couple of things are going to happen during that block mm-hmm, of time. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a start and there's a finish and there's a few benchmarks along the way, but it changes every single time and it changes every single day based on all the participants. And just like some tables when you're waiting on them, they want to get to know you and they want to ask you questions and they want your advice. And sometimes yeah. they want nothing to do with you. They are having their <laughs> so own experience <laughs> and you can don't don't bother them. And it's the same yeah, thing in yeah. the classroom. Like you you can have your own plan, but and you should. <laughs> but <Yeah>. also, <laughs> you know, the story might change and you can kind of uh you you are a player in that story, but you are not the only one in that story. Um, so mm. this last song in six, um, I just love because their point is like, hey, um, you all know King Henry VIII because of us. We are the six ex-wives mm. that makes you know King Henry VIII. But what do you know about us? So let us tell you mm. our story. And so I think of the same thing with kids. Like, how can I create opportunities for kids to tell me their story? Because they want to and they do mm-hmm. every day. But am I listening? Am I giving them uh, or providing opportunities to, to really listen or, and hear because um, kids present themselves all the time. They invite you into their lives just as much. And sometimes you totally, yeah. Sometimes you ignore those <laughs> invitations or you, you don't notice them. And so, you know, how can you do that to make it better? So I would play that song because that, that's all the things that it kind of reminds me of. God, I love that. I love the idea of thinking about kids issuing you invitations. And it takes us right back to the beginning of our conversation where you said you try to figure out the question they're really asking with this answer that doesn't answer your question, Mm -hmm. right? They're speaking to you. Yep. They're issuing you an invitation. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Do you see me? And sometimes those invitations come in not very inviting ways mm-hmm. right yeah um and you're right we can ignore them or we can get curious it seems to me you must have a level of curiosity about you yeah i think that my my interest in psychology is actually mm-hmm. um what i tell kids constantly 
um, which is, I love the gray. Everything that is in between black and white, uh, sometimes we are asked to see the world by or um, mm -hmm. to see it as yes or no or very binary. And that is not interesting to me. What's in between mm. is really what's interesting. So I love the gray. And when I pitch psychology to sophomores, I always say, um, if you don't love the gray and can't accept the gray and can't, uh, you know, be comfortable in the gray, then really psychology is not for you. So I think curiosity yeah. is a natural part of just kind of my um, approach to what I'm interested in. I've always loved um, when things go against what I have kind of always thought or experienced. Like it's so, yeah, it's yeah. so amazing to me that you can have this belief either from, you know, through direct learning or an experience and then someone changes it because then, mm. oh my God, what else is possible? You know, like oh God, if, that. if that changes, then what else can I like, what else can be challenged or changed or, or figured out? And I love that about psychology in particular, but I also love that about, um, you know, I think the students that I enjoy the most are the ones that are that have a similar um, approach to wanting to learn. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I certainly get kids, you know, who have a more of a traditional like, I just need the answer. Yeah, the, yeah. They're yeah. fun too because I love to not give the answer. <laughs> I know, I bet you do. I bet you torture them in the best way. So um, this podcast is called Coffee Room Conversations because I've always felt that the best conversations happened for me in the coffee room. Mm -hmm. Although arguably with you, me, and Dana in that little office yeah. that year you were with us, mm -hmm. we had some great conversations. We sure did. Yeah. If we were in the coffee room, you know, that kind of bustle before school starts, I'm running copies, you're punching holes or whatever. You're about to exit. What are you going to leave us with to have a good day of teaching? Well, I'd probably tell you a joke. Mm -hmm. And then ask you to, you know, to incorporate into the, into the class as well in a way that is challenging for you. So you don't actually just tell the joke, but you, mm -hmm. um, but that you incorporate into the, so the kids don't know it. So it kind of becomes like a little bit of a challenge for you, but also like, uh, you know, a kind of a fun exchange for us. Like I, I like to, I like to do that, um, just now. So mm -hmm, I, th mm -hmm. I think that that's probably what I would want to do in the copy room is like leave you with a little joke that you can then take into the classroom and also use, but in a way that, um, isn't direct. I, I, I think that's more fun, yeah. <laughs> but it that's also is super like fun. a creative way. Well, and then you get at the end of the day, it's like, so how'd you work the joke in, right? It's just this little joyful moment. Yeah. I love that. And it can be something really like small and silly, you know, like last year, for example, I had, um, well, this isn't related to the, the question you just asked, but I just thought That's about okay. like last yeah, yeah. year I had an eighth period class, which is the last class of the day. And, you know, eighth period is it's its own beast, just like first period is oh or God. like, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I had this eighth period class of ninth graders and we did a lot of, um, <laughs> we did a lot of, a lot of, um, standup practice where oh I had the kids, they had to like, it was like a, an ongoing assignment and it was really 
like ridiculous, but I had so much fun with it. And I did it specifically because it was eighth period. Um, and that's mm -hmm. just like the energy. So mm -hmm. I had my kids, they all had to prepare like to, to deliver like a stand up routine, um, where they had to have at least two jokes and they could find them somewhere else. They could get them. There were some, you know, a lot of criteria around like what types of jokes they could tell and what couldn't tell. But of course, <laughs> um, we would, we would start with like a stand up for the day. So these, I had, uh, I had 15 kids in my class and we cycled through probably like four or five times through the school year where every day, constantly someone was getting up, telling a joke or to tell two jokes and then sit down and then get up, stand up. So one, it like gave them like a, uh, uh, a repertoire of like jokes to tell, which I think is a good <laughs> life yes. skill. But yes. then it also gave them just standing up and getting, you know, like you, we do in classes, like we give them presentations and they get graded yeah. on their presentation a lot. And this was like a really silly and fun and easy and fairly innocuous way to present, but they didn't really know they were presenting, you know, just yes, to get comfortable yes, in front yes. of the class. And it really was so fun. I, it was something that I enjoyed for my last class of the day. And, you know, who looks forward to their last class of the day other than it, the day is over after it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I still see my sophomores, I see sophomores at my school this year who, when I see them in the hallway or when I pass them at something, they're always talking about, you know, stand up day, you know. <laughs> I love that. It's just a delight. It's a delight. Yeah. Well, it's a great way to end because um, it just speaks to how you can be fun and silly and still teach at the same time, right? There is no doubt that that stand-up opportunity every day just to get us, remind us that life is fun and school is fun and it's going to be a great day. Yeah. That prepared them in all kinds of ways. And I love that. I love that so much. That there is room for joy and learning to coexist. In fact, they almost really need to to be optimized, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. For learning to be optimized. Yeah. Well, my friend, what a gift you are to the world still all these years later. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I am happy to see you too. What a gift you are to our kids. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you for sharing your time with us in the copy room. Whether you're on your way to school, on your way home, walking your dog, or doing your household chores, I wish you a day of letting down and letting go. Remembering your birthright is to operate from a place of joy, even if your heart's broken. Perhaps especially when your heart's broken. Thank you to Dirt Path Publishing for producing this podcast and to you for listening.